0: A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams.
1: Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earle
0: and A.M. Kozak. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. This is episode 62, and I'm Amanda Earle. Today I have the pleasure of uh, speaking to Danny Spinoza. Hi, Danny. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, we're going to start with, um, of course, we're doing this on, on Zoom. We're not in person, uh, unfortunately, but uh, maybe another time we'll be able to do this in, in person, which would be fun. Uh, for now, we're all just holograms, so I think. <laughs> or I feel anyway. Amanda Bot. Okay, so here's, here's a bio from the back of OO Typewriter Poems. Danny Spinoza is a poet of digital and print media, and on again, off again, precious, oh sorry, precarious, sorry, precious. Mm-hmm. I'll take both. Professor, the managing editor of the Electronic Literature Directory, a co founding editor of Gapright Press, and the author of Anarchists in the Academy Machines and Free Readers in Experimental Poetry. She can be found online at generic pronoun dot com and in person in toronto i'll post the uh, link to the site as well and okay. to the book and everything else on the, uh, if i remember sometimes i i claim that i'm going to put these things up and then i i don't do it until much later but that's my promise at some point when i remember i'll,
1: I'll put it up it All right. that's wonderful thanks yeah
0: so thank thanks very much for for coming uh, and for being on the show i want to open the episode by saying how much i admire you and the work you do as a writer and academic and as a publisher you bring warmth love whimsy and care to everything you do as well as being fucking brilliant <laughs> <laughs> your work you're welcome. You're working your attitude play, uh, uh, your, uh, your attitude towards play inspired me and I, su- uh, I suspect others. As you say in your in conversation with Kate in the afterward to oh, oh, I like calling it oh o oh, by the way. I know you, there are lots of ways to, uh, a lot of people, I was thinking, ooh, ooh as well. Yeah. But I think that would be real, so I, I say oh, oh. But, oh my God, make bad art, make some art that sucks. That's such a freeing thing for women to hear. We've been bombarded with expectations of perfection in life and poetry and everything we do. Yes, as you and Kate discussed, perfection closes rather than opens the conversation. You have done a lot to keep the conversation open, and I thank you for it.
1: <laughs> uh, thanks so much.
0: The feeling is really mutual. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like that's the end of the conversation. We can go home now. We're, we're done. All yeah, right? yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. No, instead, I have I have okay. I'll, I have a few questions here. If they and hopefully they make sense. Um, in your intro, you talk about the Oo poems as being tributes of love but you also mentioned that your relationship with visual poetics is fraught. Mm. Fraught I think is what must be one of my favorite words. I love the way that word looks, the way it sounds. In the afterword, you talk about loving that weird machismo artist, artist persona and hating it for how it has fucked up the community. I feel that in the tension between the work such as uh, the work you created and the, and the uh, inclusion of men who had some challenging associations such as Carl Andre, at the same time, the structure of the book is modeled after BP Nichols, a, lake, a, la- a line alone, an homage. His work has certainly been a great influence on me and I admire everything I've heard about him and his creative practice. Can you talk about how you
1: decided who to include? Uh, Yeah, cool, cool question isn't it? How long? (laughs) Well, I think it's uh, for a book that's every, most of the poems are people's names. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever actually been asked how I decided. (laughs) Uh, on on the poets, so that is um a great question the truth is I didn't I decided on poems which um meant I ended up including people that probably I wouldn't have otherwise if I was thinking about uh what kind of tradition or what kind of legacy I wanted to create or reference or work through in the book it was very much I was working with a lot of Uh, bought used or available for free online uh, anthologies or collections or journals of typewriter poetry that were quite old Um, or I'd borrow books from friends and it was very much a flipping through until a segment of a poem caught me which is I learned a lot of new poets a lot that I had not heard of, that I probably wouldn't have heard of otherwise, Um, and made some friends along the way. Like people ended up contacting me after I'd worked through some of their poems. And and that's how I uh, got in touch with Hart Brody, who uh, I just did the chapbook with his press. So it was very much poems before it was poets. And then I had to kind of wonder Uh, for certain poets who maybe ideologically represent things I don't love about poetry or the poetry community, I had to kind of decide if I wanted them. uh, I mean, because it's not just inclusion, it's like a whole poem dedicated to that poet. Uh, And I think to me, it was more important to uh, take pieces of the poems and work through them and make them mine and in some way like in a tiny weird way like make that poet mine for this moment take take over the persona so I think that's what I was working through I know that's a cop out I don't <laughs> think it's
0: a I think it's very interesting it's it, it reminds me a bit of uh you know the idea of chance operations too right like like uh, Jackson Maclow or other people who kind of the way they well they set up constraints in that case but still that way of discovery of something. I I think it's interesting. I I don't know. I think it's one way of handling that issue too, because otherwise there's a difficulty if you just end up um, curating away from anything that causes tension. Well, (laughs) that's an issue too, right? So there's a tension between giving space and and, and, and not. But I, I like the way you navigate this tension of tribute and fraught how the frame of the poem was used to contain the unspoken and the ne- dare not to be spoken. So, mm-hmm. for example, you, for the Raymond Fetterman, the experimental writer, a quote from your, um, what you've written there, I am struggling still, good femme tears, good old boys. Like, that's, that's great. Like, you've, you've opened space there, right? In, in, that, in that, so in a way, it's subverting that voice in a way, too. So. Or Sia Rin, uh, he jammed naming poets. And aren't you tired of explaining? And then uh, pay, so much depends. WCW again, uh, or uh, with Marianne Holmes Hansen, Morning after pill. Ejaculate on the sheets. Um, I I got I googled her and got a bio where most of the words were striked out her practice to challenge perceptions and uncover and inter- interrogate structures. So, yeah. And then, and then like your poem, I, I want a confessional, like all, it's all subverting these voices in some ways, you know, both tribute and subversion. So I thought that was pretty, pretty brilliant. I like to, the more yeah. I read that book, the more I
1: get out of it. So I
0: think that's.
1: Well, and you're pulling, <laughs> you, you've pulled like my three, fav- my three favorite poems from the collection, I think, in this question, um, because they're, I don't, for a long time, I was like, oh, I'm stopping writing lyric poetry because I am like a fucking fancy academic lady and like lyric poetry (laughs) is pedestrian crap. And, uh, but I think that was like really deep seated stuff in me of being like, this is a teenage journal that you're writing and that's bad and that's not serious work, (laughs) uh, and i i for a really long time was pushing against that part of me that was like but i also kind of just like wanna bitch about how like that uh that marian Holm hansen poem is entirely me complaining because i was getting an IUD and I had problems with my IUD and interestingly I'm waiting to get a new one right now just like it'll be a new poem (laughs) a new poem complaining about this and I was just like you know like I keep saying to my partner to Jesse I'm like you know this one is your fucking turn like we're we're jamming something in yours this time and that didn't feel like a thing you wrote a serious certainly not like an experimental visual poem about that seemed you know, like the kind of thing that you like complain about over a glass of wine and all of this these three poems that you're talking about are, are about putting stuff that to me felt silly and stupid in, into the format that felt to me academic and serious so i love that you picked those ones
0: <laughs> well i i think no, no i don't like the word should so i i feel already um conflicted about using this word but the idea of of uh of reading visual poems over over wine to me is ideal anyway and to kind of combine the 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 confessional with the visual form. you know i mean i that's one of the things i love about your work again you play with you play and it's not that the play isn't it's not that the work isn't serious it's, it's substantial and serious it's questioning, but it's also playful and you should be able to be both and you should be able to have wine or or grape soda or whatever the hell you want while you're creating and 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 reading and into I, I don't see that's a, a problem, but I have those voices in my head too oh i'm I'm doing something that's fun, therefore it can't be it's not important you know if, if, if it's fun it can't be what is that it's it's so annoying that that. Uh, that we have that i'd like to quash that uh,
1: instinct too me too but it's it's so interesting too because i think a week ago or two weeks ago kate and i were on the pentract podcast yeah we I, to, to, I
0: keep meaning to yeah
1: yeah they're so they're so lovely and i love anthony and clara over at pentract they're, they're yeah. such wonderful people and we ended up talking about um something quite similar. Claire was talking about like she asked do you ever feel the shame like maybe what you're doing is like not really a poem and it's not really quite serious work and some of the poets that I'm working through do quite serious work. <laughs> I'm not gonna say any names but you know who I mean. Um, and that's why I think the whole book is structured around Nickel because Nickel was at turns quite serious okay. work. And then, like here 's my cartoon of a dude with a big nose just saying yeah. "H" because I, I frickin love h today, so I think Nickel is a, a really wonderful example of walking the line between serious and not um, and that being okay
0: yeah yeah I, I I agree that's good. I mean he was so inspiring for me to even even in my um my my sort of non-visual poetry what do you call poetry that isn't visual poetry i don't like i don't like some of these terms that i hear like i don't like page poetry like forget but uh, i don't i don't know what to call it stuff tech i don't know anyway the other poetry i do he he's inspired a lot of that so so yeah i i, I appreciate his playfulness um he's one of those people that that sort of gave us permission to play i think and, oh if he can do it and people love him well you know i can do it too uh, in an open book interview when you were writer-in-residence, you referred to the titles as citations. And Kate in the afterword to OO talks about citations
1: as a feminist act. Can you elaborate? Um, yeah, like, <laughs> I was so frustrated when, I mean, I came up in my undergrad in can-lit classes with profs who were pointing me to experimental work. Like, it's not like I came from a very conservative kind of schooling. I had, like, shout out to Len Early, who was the coolest. Like, I got that education. And then as I started looking into those traditions, I was like, oh, my God, look at all these women no one told me about. Look at all these racialized writers doing this work that no one told me about. And I was learning this stuff. And I just, there was a whole, whole chunks of this tradition just got completely left out. So for me, one of the most important things about citation Mm -hmm. is to, to point you outward. I always want Like, I would love for you to just like put down my book all the time and forget about it and go off and check out whoever you like. It's, I love that in these questions, you're saying to me, like, oh, I looked up her, I looked up her, I looked up her. That's amazing. That's exactly what I wanted. That's why I think it's so important is to kind of turn. I take, I occupy the persona of this writer a little bit for a moment. I take it over for a moment and then I like push you out. I want you to go out and away. So it's less about me and more about all of us in this conversation together. That I think is so important and inherently feminist.
0: Yeah. There's something collaborative about it too, to act as a kind of a conduit as well to, um, and to sort of introduce, Um, And to sort of correct some of these erasures that have happened. I studied French literature at the University of Toronto You know how many women we studied in four Mm. years? Zero Mm. Zero, but that was in the 80s. I I hope that it's better now, but uh, I didn't I didn't start to read Simone de Beauvoir until I was a lot older You know, she should have been part of my program for sure. 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 But, you know, they, they, women didn't exist, right? Non- well, and
1: then when I got there, it was very much, uh, you know, here's your class on contemporary Canada and here's your week on, say, Fitless yeah. Webb or Daphne Marlott or someone like that. Like you'd get that nice cool week or two, maybe we'll like put Norbeth Phillip at the end oh. in a nice quick nod. So that's where I, and then those little moments were like, Oh, Oh, oh my god, this is so interesting and then I don't have to like reread this like freaking a.m. Klein or whatever yeah. I can go I can go out to something. That's really beautiful um, That doesn't get relegated to that tokenist spot Yeah,
0: that's it. Yeah on your blog You wrote name-dropping and copious quotation are both good methods of being taken seriously as a woman in the avant-garde mm-hmm. in an entry about your book Anarchist in the Academy that's where I guess that's where they that came from. Yeah. I feel that oh, name drops and also subverts through reclamation. So that's a-
1: oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm very much interested in uh, like overtly playing the game yeah. because it's 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 so much it's so much about and. It's to women, but it's also just in general. Um, in these poetry communities, it's very like, have you read? Do you read? Name oh, dropping yeah. and, and testing, making sure you're passing some kind of literary test, which like I did that school. I'm, I'm at this reading to like get chill. I don't need to be tested again. I've done enough. So it's very much just like, I, I feel like that's the reason why I started writing this book was like, stop asking me. Here's a list of people I've read. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It's it's done, and now we can start talking about the conversation, rather. And that's what I think. If I think the name dropping and copious quotation thing is a is a, about the Johanna Drucker poem that I wrote, which is just scholastic quotation marks, right? <laughs> uh, who is Johanna Drucker? Is the beautiful? Yeah, she's the greatest. She's yeah. the most. Wonderful scholar, poet. I, I'll, I'll follow her to wherever. Wonderful. I,
0: I love her. I, I have to read it out loud because I love her blurb on the back of your book. It was so great. I, I told her. I she's really like, WTF, what the fuck, does Danny Spinoza think she is doing copying all these mostly male poets? Lock up your typewriters, hide your anthologies of classic visual poetry, protect yourself and the literary tradition from the stealth interventions of Spinoza, who is Miss appropriating works by every conceivable author of graphically scored verse in the name of some kind of Femme that involves conversations with the dead as well as the living the former are silent on the matter and the latter We shall see rarely has mimicry been used to such high-level Hermeneutic ends. That's gorgeous. That is just right? gorgeous. That's right It's so it's perfect for you for you and for your book, too so I, I always remember, yeah, I It
1: really, was such a gift <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like. I met uh, well. I, I met Joanna at at the at the Canada Concrete uh, mm-hmm. that great Canada Concrete uh, symposium in Ottawa where where you you we were all there. It was a lot of fun. That was great. I I find myself remembering with great fondness that time. It was so much fun. Yeah, especially because we could all hang out. Remember that? <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. Uh, much of the work of yours I've read and seen is playfully rebellious, fucking with the expectation of how women are supposed to act, with the concept of masculinity and femininity. For example, in open book, you write about your Chant Um, one of your no-press chapbooks. Uh, in Chant Um, I take up the stupid valley girl sounds I make and words I use, mostly filler, to intervene in sound poetry, which as a genre has vastly more interested, has been vastly more interested in intellectualizing the violent, harsh, and guttural sounds of the masculinized body. I love this, and also your chapbook, Incessantly, for Maria Carey. Um, here's a quote from it. I rhapsodize on varnished irregularities. I pray an obscure elusive reverie to allevi- alleviate those atrocities, offer instead unyielding unwavering levity, so we might be intoxicated by our emancipation. God, that's gorgeous. It's so great. So great. Oh, oh! is also quite playful with layers and layers, if you read closely. For instance, Emmett Williams' poem, for example, contains the delightful palindrome, Strap on No Parts. Mm-hmm. I thought I invented that along with with uh, step on no pets and no lemon no melon. But, you know, <laughs> there you go. I'm clearly not right about that. Uh, your new chapbook coming out with Nar- Noir Z, which I keep wanting to say Noir Z, I'm so Canadian. To whom uh- shall I sing? Which is. Typewriter Poems of Women in Mythology has a collage cover of Botticelli's Venus with large breasts from a porn magazine. Can you talk about these playful rebellions and your views on play, play and creativity and feminism in writing and visual poetry, etc.? I don't ask the small questions, eh? No. Nope. As big as those breasts on the cover of the
1: <laughs> <laughs> Right? They're, they're, they are actually like um, oh, terrible omens, those breasts. I'll tell you, I, I guess as a way into this, uh, when I, hey, so the book is dedicated to my baby nephew, which is like, I guess a bit weird. <laughs> but <laughs> that's how I roll and I write him weird stuff all the time. I love him. And when we went to go visit him and, um, I brought the copy of the book cause my parents keep like an archive of everything I've published. Uh, while we were there, I got this, like, I still have it actually, this hideous spider bite on my boob, like right on the underside of my boob. It's gross. They have these yellow sack spiders there. <laughs> so I know, I, know. I don't know if that's what you want on this podcast, Amanda, but sure. that's what you're getting. Just like my and the bites go. Um, because they are yellow sock spiders are um venomous, but it's a, like a minor venom and what ends up happening is the side of the bite gets necrotic. So I have like Yeah. My <laughs> like face kind of- is showing my, my horror. <laughs> like I have just like a spider boob right now that is our inside joke and um yeah Jesse my partner keeps saying that's what I get for putting this boob book out into the world it's like retributive against my own breasts which is terrible um all all of that to say like I'm just trying to be I'm just trying to be stupid out here I'm just, I'm just trying to do like Silly, ridiculous stuff because I for so long felt like I was like a fake
0: person
1: in this community and I had to put on this fancy voice and it made me condescending. It made me rude. Uh, In my undergraduate, especially like I keep, I keep remembering these times where I knew I was alienating or making people feel bad in order to make myself look smarter and cooler. Uh, And that sucks. And that's not what this community should be. Mm -hmm. I know I also hate that should, but I think I'll use it if it means we we should not be making people uh, feel worse so that we can feel smarter or better so the best way to do it was to be really honest about who like this part of who I am which is the like um whatever person which is yeah. obsessed with Mariah Carey which is looking at old old porn magazines and cutting them out and sticking them on fancy paintings like <laughs> that's just the, the person that I am and I want it, I it it all started like when Derek from No Press sent me an email saying, "Like, hey, I loved doing that first book of the glosses with you. Like, let's do yeah. another book." I was like, "Okay, well, but mid- here's what I have: it's just me saying whatever for two pages and this poem about Mariah Carey." So, like, be careful what you wish for. And Derek was like, "I don't know what you're talking about, but I love these, and yeah, these yeah. are." These are great. I'm so excited about them. And I realized in that email how much I would... You have it right there. Right here. Is it a sparkly one? It's okay. a sparkly red. Yeah.
0: Pale red with the sparkles. And it's got the cool layout. Beautiful.
1: He yeah, did nope. such a beautiful job with the chapbooks.
0: Nope. Yeah.
1: And I felt I felt quite silly in that moment having... I mean, this is like someone who wants to publish my work. And all I could say about it was like, well, be careful what you ask for because I'm oh, sending yeah. you this garbage. And he was like, this is excellent. And I got great feedback and we had a really fun time with those chapbooks. So now I try really hard to to only say stupid, silly with love. Like I'm, when I say oh" is a stupid book, I mean that I, I quite love how stupid it is. I love... You, and you should too like, get into them. it's so fun like yeah,
0: it, it gives people permission and especially women, I think because we we keep we keep being uh, you know I don't know bullied and in, in, in to not to not be ourselves and uh, you know things we do are silly so reclaim the silly and stupid words and uh you know like like reclaim slut and all those other words too that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Important. I think that's good. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to the chapbook as well. And I, I've, 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 of course, I've seen the, the PDF and it's really wonderful. So uh, that'll be okay. great. That'll be great. Um, uh, another thing I'm interested in is in your introductory statement in OO, that hidden in the vanguardism of the avant-garde is a deeply communal feminist poetics, poetics of derivation, homage and love. You say that your poems in the book work to bring the feminist communal poetics to the fore of the visual poem through the merger of the analog technology of the typewriter and digital intervention. And what about... Okay. Um, this This is me just talking. In like... That is fe- femship. And afterward, in feminist conversation between Danny Sminoz and Kate Siklosi, you talk about the practice of derivation, a poetics of conversation as a feminist practice. And uh, for instance, C. M. Norbeise Philip, uh, your friend uh, on page 26 with your friendship with Kate. I-, I was kind of, I kind of felt like I had, an, I suppose a lot of people know um, that Kate, uh, you know, writes as, as quite a fan uh, and, and writes about uh, Norbeese Philip. So I felt like I was part of the joke there that they you know, fr- not a joke, but that their friendship was part of that. That your friendship with Kate was there. What was her name in the poem? You know, so I thought that was good. I, I don't really have a question. I just want us to talk about visual poetry and feminist practice and how the two relate. Uh, what comes to mind for you?
1: Uh, I mean, I, first of all, I love, I love that you picked up on the <laughs> the Nerbese poem as also a poem about it's, um, it's really about. Um, Kate and Robesse's friendship, which is quite, like, really quite beautiful. They're they're quite lovely together. And seeing how much they kind of, like, um, learn from each other and develop with each other and share with each other, I think has just been, um, like, enriching. Just, like, watching that friendship I love. Uh, And then when I was – I often teach zong. So these are lines from zong, actually, that I've – taken for this Nourbeste Philip Uh, and at first I was like I don't know can I be can I be using Zong for this book like that felt maybe inappropriate or like I was divorcing part of what Zong was doing from his overall project and I think it's I think it's probably the the best poetry collection to come out of Canada and 30 years i mean i think i think as long it i think it's wonderful so i was like oh my god like i feel so weird and i don't know how i'm gonna take this and i don't know if i'm gonna do it i thought about maybe working through something else but philip isn't as visual anywhere else as she is in song so i was like I got, it's got to be this and as i'm flipping through i realize there's this line i see you kate so it's. I took a picture and I was like, hi, does Narbese know that she was writing about you? And so she showed Narbese that page and Narbese was like, oh my God, you are there. Look at that. So there was even this like, right? There's this secret element there that even like none of them knew. It was like this secret femme connection beyond all of us inside of the text. And so I started like pulling out all these crafty domestic things that Kate and Rebesse do, that Kate and I do, um, things where women's secrets, you know, when you're knitting, while you're dancing, while you're cooking, stuff like that, um, women's secrets get revealed in those places. That's great. Uh, so yeah, the whole thing is about um in this deliberately secretive way recording those secrets preserving them but in this special way and so then you come here and you say I felt like I was in on the in joke and it's just perfect it's just perfect it's like exactly It's I didn't know that that
0: line and I should I I didn't realize that that line was right in song that's amazing that's even more that's like a like a triple layer of uh that's a beautiful texture. I, I really love that. Yeah. Some of the, the things that I thought of as um, Kate's wonderful article in jacket two on fragility and the ephemeral as feminist practice. Mm-hmm. I, I keep going back to that over and over again. I, I find it so um, helpful to read and I keep pointing it out to other women, visual poets as well. Um, also the intersection of craft and Vispo, like uh, embroidery and Vispo, there's some, um, Jessica Bebenick's, uh mm-hmm. work in knitting, uh, the wasteland. I just, I'm, I'm amazed by the others. Uh, there's a, a, a Nassimic, uh an writer uh, from the states named Paula Dam who's doing some interesting things. Uh, Maria Damon's her, her embroidery too. Uh, Look, at, I've, I've got you on the list too. A typewriter vispo by women: Danny Spinoza. Susan Conley, who works primarily actually with word processor, but they look just like they, they're totally typewriter. But she's from Ireland. Also, erasure poems. Do you know Yasmin Seal? She does. Th- she's been erasing the Thousand and One Nights. Oh, right. So oh, amazing! So amazing! Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, there's just there's just so many interesting things going on and uh, with women and visual poetry and the way. Uh, we're relating to the world, to politics, to misogyny and erasure and all that stuff. I, mm-hmm. I'm glad you're you're part of that. That's uh, wonderful, and your work is introducing people to uh, to some of these um, um, other other visual poets as well.
1: Uh, thanks, and I that's nice to hear because I sometimes I'm not sure if my typewriter work uh, fits into that category because, uh, especially in concrete poetry, I typically like associate the typewriter um, with this very male uh, tradition of concrete poetics. Uh, Especially when you think about Salt was not working with a typewriter when the other um, concrete poets around then were, she was doing something very different. Uh, But it, it makes me think a bit of a Lychee fan, Uh, who's a friend of mine and um, she's a scholar of like new media and digital humanities at university of Waterloo is working on this project right now of like um, men who are thanking their wives for typing up their manuscripts and all of these mid-century books and how much of that labor was on women who were at home doing all the caretaking work and then doing all the typing work. And it just like evokes this horrible mental image of this like pontificating pipe smoking man pacing around his office while the wife is like. (laughs) Uh, So I've been trying to think more and more about um, when you think about the typewriter in terms of concrete or experimental poetry, it feels like a boy's thing. But if you look at it, in terms of the domestic sphere, and obviously the the office space, the workspace as well, it's very much a feminized object. And so I almost want to like go back and continue to historicize the thing and um, think about the women's labor that was uh, not considered important, considered supplemental when they were working on working yeah. on the typewriter.
0: That makes sense. And, and I had a next question, but it's basically the same thing about the erasure of of women in the concrete poetry movement, such as Emmett Williams' anthology of concrete poetry, which featured only four women. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I, I've been doing a lot of research in the past uh, two years on, um, on, mo- on mostly on contemporary visual poetry by women, but also on some of the earlier concrete stuff. And, like, I've, I've learned about people like Ruth uh, Wolf, uh, Ray- Ray, sorry, I forgot her last name for a second, but, uh, and the German uh, typewriter poet, her work is amazing, and she was around at that time and doing incredible work. Uh, Why don't we know about these people? You know, because they were a race. This one anthology was so important, and it's like the anthology of concrete poetry. It was so, it was so foundational. It still gets mentioned today. So that means a whole bunch of women are not referred to, Mm -hmm. right? And now there's, uh, there's, um, Women in Concrete Poetry, a book that's being uh, put out by Primary Information uh, to uh, represent the women from 59 to 79, and that's coming out, I think, in the fall, which will be good. But they also reprinted the Anthology of Concrete Poetry in 2013, so they kept this they kept this erasure of women going. So now they have to they have to do another book because they've you know they've they've erased women themselves. So now, so I like the books coming out, but. Again, it, it, just, it just keeps on going. It just keeps on going, the erasure of... Um, and what happens, it's, it, I mean, I'm not an academic, uh, but this always sounds like like an apology, but I, I was thinking about how if, if, if women are erased in uh, these so, so-called foundational books, then the scholarship, then studies about women, uh, the research about women, all of that gets erased and isn't worked on, you know, so it's, it's my
1: rant. <laughs> yeah, well, because you're talking about access, and when you're when you're a student who's d- reading and developing their knowledge of what's happening in these traditions, that becomes the grad student, that becomes the scholar. What you have access to in that early time, what you're taught as a part of that conversation, is going to shape the direction your scholarship heads in. Uh, that is just like how it it works. So if you're continuing to put out these courses and these anthologies and these articles that are, you know, name dropping Mary Ellen souls and then walking away from it. Exactly. Uh, You're, you're painting a picture that is not accurate. And I think everybody knows like one thing that happened with, I've worked with some wonderful dudes making this book, like, like the, the best dudes we have in this community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they—they they were all like, "Oh, I had never heard of this person," and they, I checked them out. And uh, Gary was all excited; he was checking out new people. Rob w- was checking out people when he was reviewing the early glosses. Like, people wanted these names; they knew they existed. Everybody knew that the story we were getting was very one-sided, uh-huh. and I had to do—I would say—quite a bit of work and in unearthing these people who, who, these women, not people, these women who were doing this work and just weren't getting recorded uh, as a part of it uh, for sure. And then I wanted to, I wanted to keep showing that um, with the three sections on dudes and the one section on women to keep showing how much, like that, that pie, that pie chart needs to be pried open just a little bit to keep exactly. reflecting um, what kind of story gets told. For That's sure,
0: it. I have, I have a mission. It's a small one, but it's. A, I never want to hear another male publisher tell me there aren't women making visual poetry. I mm-hmm. never want to hear that again. I never want to hear that again because I still hear it.
1: I and from people who are supposedly. supposedly on this this side of the politics and on this side of the argument um I without saying anybody's name I have gotten a weird number of complaints about this book oh yeah oh I bet I I get complaints too (laughs) yeah just like people who feel like um it's too looking back or it's yeah that it's like I actually had someone tell me it's not the book that they wanted from me. Oh my God. (laughs) I know, but it's well-meaning. It is well-meaning. And I, I'm not trying to be crappy in case that person listens to this. Cause I do. I think it's just indicative of like, um, certain people feel like we're at a place where we can keep moving forward and looking forward. And I do that. Like my research is in electronic literature and new media poetics yeah. and kinetic poetry. Like it's not like I'm some kind of Luddite, <laughs> but I really needed to look back and, and look at this conversation you and I are having the conversation Kate and I had. This is very much about still carving out spaces for us. it feeling safe, because in order to play and be silly and stupid and ridiculous, you need to feel like you have, this is freaking Virginia Woolf, isn't it? Like, we need to feel like we got our own space and yeah, safe well, there.
0: And and the thing is, too, if, if these women hadn't been erased from the conversation to begin with, we wouldn't need to look back. But the fact is, is we're not, it's not looking back if they've never even been part of a conversation. Mm. So, you know, no. I don't like that. Uh, uh, uh. But anyway, you can always write a sequel. So, what the heck? It's, it's not a Yeah. Write yeah, on, uh, another one. You can write about the um, women uh, 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 making visual poetry in, tw- in the 23rd century, and we'll see <laughs> how they're. <laughs> that would be an interesting version.
1: Yeah. 20th century that- Vispo. Uh, Sci-fi Vispo. I can't wait to see where it's headed, especially in what's happening in digital format. I can't wait to see. And I think, and I think your work, especially your Vispo Bible stuff, um, really points to like, just this kind of like great joy and like, oh my God, look what I can do
0: now. (laughs) It's, it's 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 me learning how it's me playing with photoshop and photoshop keeps changing all the time it's such a big. They, they keep upgrading i keep forgetting how to do well because i'm not forgetting how to do things but they keep hiding my main thing is the is the is the uh transformation right so every time i i want to use the transformation they've they've done some weird thing to it and i have to figure it out again they've added some new features that mean i can't make the, the stuff i'm making now is different from the stuff i was doing five years ago because of the way photoshop has changed so I, yeah. yeah i can't yeah. get back to that i can't get back to genesis okay. now that i'm in Acts in, in the new the new testament so uh yeah well thanks it's nice to it's it's still it's still fun to do i don't spend as much time on it as as i should because i'm i'm busy with a lot of other things but it's like a bit like a knitting project you know you kind of take it up when you have time and you yeah. And then I don't know how to how to get it published because it's it's I mean if it ever gets finished it'll be massive right it'll be uh, like the Bible itself so I I I don't know it's 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 just a tricky thing so I keep playing with it and stuff and I just I met um, uh, online a a woman who. has also been working with spiritual texts, and I can't remember her, her first name is Meg, I'll put her, but she does really cool things, she's doing illuminating uh, sacred texts and all this cool stuff, working by hand, and that's pretty cool too, so I'm finding other women who are working in in sort of along similar lines with with the Bible and other religious texts, so that's cool too. Again, uh, community and women who are doing things, so it's very cool. Uh, Oh, I I actually have one more question, amazing. (laughs) Amazing, I'm just, okay, in open letter, during your Writer in Residence gig, you wrote, love letters to those dear to you. I loved reading those. In general, I feel like love is part of your creative practice, including Gapright Press, which you co-run with Kate Sikosi. Can you talk more about the role of love in your work and about Gap Rite Press too?
1: <laughs> love. To love. <laughs> um, Riot Press is the best decision I ever made Kate and I say all the time that if we had to choose between making our own poems and keeping running the press both of us would pick the press and there's no question mm-hmm. uh, it is so gratifying we get to read some amazing work, we get to put out some beautiful books uh, we we in that Pentract podcast, they were asking us, like, uh, how do you see Gap Riot moving forward? Or do you want to get bigger? Do you want to start making real books? And we were both like, no, smaller. Like, I would love to get smaller. We're learning uh, bookbinding stuff. We're learning um, how to make really beautiful. Like, we're very, we're very inspired by Kyle Flemmer over at Blasted Trees, Saja Archer at Simulacrum, we want to get more and more into these like beautiful poetic artifacts, um, things that are the crafty fragility that we're so interested in. We do these moments here and there, but we want more. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm excited. Our latest season is uh, (laughs) really good, really wonderful. We published another dude, so that's two. (laughs) <laughs> done now. I like tokenizing men That's in the avant-garde. card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it makes me feel great. And it also means when we do decide to publish a man's work, uh, it's just excellent. So uh, this latest book, Franco Cortez's Of Fathers is gorgeous. And it's also very much about how does this very cerebral intellectual uh, avant-garde work meet with the nitty-gritty disgusting mess of the body oh, great, think, great! yeah it's beautiful yeah, I love Franco's work I've, I, I, I've, I've seen Frank, some of Franco's work it's pretty cool stuff yeah yeah really beautiful um Therese Mason-Pierre's work is speculative like sci-fi <laughs> poetry beautiful gorgeous uh Ashley Hind has this, It's I, I was really drawn to it immediately. It's like this very almost teenage breakup poem, um, but visually experimental and just exploding, sp- sprawling across the page. It's gorgeous. And then we published a first chapbook for um, Zoe Morris, who is a writer out of Louisville, Kentucky. So it's a very intense place to be right now. Um, and their work is about uh, navigating the intricacies of queer desire and power in sexual practice from the perspective of a sex worker, but it's written as a kind of theater that is performed by uh, Native Wildlife of Kentucky. Wow!
0: Right? Sounds and it's so good. Sounds wonderful. Sounds wonderful. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you. Um that you're doing that it sounds, sounds great. I, I wish I, I, I'm a little bit broke these days, so I'm not buying all of the chapbooks and books and stuff that I want to buy. So it's sort of frustrating for me to, to hear all these great things, but, uh, and, and all the small press fairs, you know, not going on and stuff like that. It's, uh, I mean, there, there are bigger things in the world, but it's uh, just be nice to be uh, part of that again and to uh, exchange and do all that again, Well, we will someday. Yeah. Is there any, I have one little note about OO typewriter poems, but is there anything else you want to add about uh, anything at all? Uh,
1: I don't know. I don't know. Just my, I feel like (laughs) (laughs) when I do my teaching, my brands are like, I'm teaching right now writers and drug class. So the last thing that I want to add every time is um, we need to abolish for profit prisons. Yeah. We need to make automatic pardons for people who still have cannabis uh, charges. Uh, we need to abolish cash bail. We need to abolish bail bonds. Can that be my final? One? <laughs> that, that's my thing I want to leave us with. Like, um, we we need to abolish cash bail. It's the most horrible, classist thing in the world, and I hate it. That's how I feel. <laughs>
0: There you go. Well, maybe, who knows? Maybe we'll have some more links to something like, about, maybe there'll be a petition I can add or something like oh, that. Yes. On yeah. the podcast episode as well. My final, the final, I like to sometimes uh, read just a little uh, note of praise about, about the work. So I will, I will, if you'll indulge me, I will read this little thing I wrote about your um, your work here. Each poem in OO Typewriter Poems inv- navigates the tension between tribute and fraught sometimes engages with the work of the name creator, sometimes claims it as holding space for what dare not be said. Perhaps these works could be considered a response to and a breaking away from linear perspectives, the troubled histories of artists and typing over being a means to uncover, cover, and discover just to square the circle." Mm -hmm. The quote from the combination of manual and digital techniques is a cheeky response to absolutism and binaries. I love this book. Now let's see more p- visual poetry published by Canadian publishers and more by women, please. man. there you go. And that's, I guess, that's uh, that's it for this episode of the Small Machine Talks. Uh, stay tuned, and next time when I'm interviewing Sachiko Murakami at the end of uh, the end of August, and uh, then uh, we have another interview coming up in September. Aaron Kozak and I will be interviewing James Lindsay. So that those are the next plans for the next podcast. Thanks, Danny, for being on the show. Thanks, Amanda. Nice talking. You too. Small Machine Talks
1: with Amanda Earle
0: and A.M. Kozak.